Support comes from Empower Missouri's Week of Action with in-person and virtual advocacy training for affordable housing, criminal justice, and food security initiatives March 25th through 28th. Registration at empowermissouri.org WOA. Alan Green is hoping his experience in state and local government is a good fit for the state auditor's office. But the Democratic nominee for the statewide post will have to get over a big fundraising disadvantage and get people to pay attention to a race that's often overshadowed. Green joins us on Politically Speaking to talk about his campaign. So let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in studio today, she is St. Louis Public Radio State House and Politics reporter. Sarah Kellogg. And our very special guest today, he is the Democratic nominee for State Auditor. Alan Green. Thank you so much for joining us. First time on the show. Uh, Actually, over the years, I've been on numerous public radio shows, and this is an honor to be here. Well, it is an honor to have you. just tell us a little bit about who you are and your experience that has led up to this point where you are the Democratic nominee for this statewide office. First of all, I want to say uh, what an honor it is to be the nominee. It's very exciting to be the Democratic nominee. I have a uh, various uh, background uh, from right now being the CFO for the Missouri Minority Business Development Agency. We specialize in helping minority businesses grow, which is also funded by the uh, U.S. Commerce Department uh, nationwide. Uh, also behind that background, I'm a private business owner. My company is Green & Associates. We specialize in bonding and financing. I've had that company since 2011. And I'm very happy to say I've done business with have clients all over the country. Besides that, I've been a legislator. Missouri legislator, House member for seven years, stepped down in 2021 and ran for the state Senate race, which I wasn't successful at. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, what did you learn from that contest? Because you, you, you had served in the state legislature for about six and a half years because you came in in a special election. Yes, I did. But you came in a pretty distant third, and I'm sure that that was discouraging, but here you are running for office again. I'm sure there's some lessons that you've learned from that experience. Well, first of all, it was the pandemic. And in that particular pandemic, it started when you're knocking on door. I locked on uh, close to seven to 8,000 doors, but nobody was answering those doors because the pandemic, people were afraid. I was, wouldn't even come to the door. I was waving at people. I learned to talk to Ring, though. Me and Ring became really good friends. <laughs> but it was hard. Uh, again, we didn't have any fundraisers, things like that, so it was hard to solicit for money. Uh, I did call, uh, did send out letters, things like that in that particular race. Out of that, you know, what bothered me the most was is in my region, I had the highest total account over the last seven years or the last three elections in the region as a state representative. So I thought if my people would just come out in that race, 
been looking at the numbers, there was no way I could lose that race. That's one thing I learned. I lost, though, because the person I ran against, one, had only 2,000 votes, and I was averaging anywhere from nine to 10,000 votes. The other person that actually won the race had no political experience at all. Zero. Angela Mosley, by the way. Yes. Now, she does have political experience. Family-wise. It, it, her family has been in politics for a long yes. time. I yes. want to make that clear, but yes. continue. So going back to that particular race, I was pretty sure that I could win if my group of people would come out. There was way, no way no one could beat me, period. But that did not happen. And even when people had called and asked, uh, I got in that race first, uh, which was interesting, and then all those individuals followed. And then people were uh, six months into that race were asking me, well, are you going to get out of the race? Yeah, well, because people thought you were a spoiler to Tommy Pearson Jr., Yeah, to be very honest with yeah, you. But, cons- right. but, but how, would you, how would you respond to that? Again, I got in the race first. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. And my sector, my district was the highest vote count in the region. So I'm saying, hey, if I just hold my count, there's no one that could win except for me. But none of that did not happen. Of course, the unions came out for Tommy Pearson. Unity Pack came out for Angela Mosley. And here was Alan Green stuck over in the corner. All right. And the end part was is that they were campaigning in my base, my base. So not over in the areas that, of course, Tommy Pearson had won before. Not in the areas that Angelo Mosley and them had held before. They were in my base. And the whole key was them to not suck on my base. If I could hold my base and then pick up a little outside of my base, there was no way I could actually lose that race. But it didn't happen. And so, of course, when you had three different individuals in there and you had a mixture, the congressman got involved in that race. You had the unions involved in that race. You had Unity APAC involved in that race. And people were like, well, Where's your division? Where's your core? Well, my core had always been the heart of the people right there, and now they're digging into it. So that's what occurred. How did you distinguish yourself when you were a member of the Missouri House from 2014 to 2021? Well, one of the things is, again, when I arrived, I came in with a wealth of experience. Uh, as you go back to my experience right there, I had worked for the governor, uh, Jay uh, Nixon. I was a agency director for three years. Prior to that, I did... I worked for two St. Louis County executives, Buzz Westfall and Charlie Dooley. And I knew law enforcement because I was St. Louis. I was an ex-St. Louis police officer. Proud to say that I have three sons in various police departments right now, followed in my footsteps. But what also distinguished me is I was chair of the Legislative Black Caucus for two years. And so I came in. I went into leadership. I had those experiences. And from that experience, every committee I mostly sat on, I was always the ranking member. And so those are the the differences in what made up Alan Green. And what did you learn in the House that you feel like you can bring to the state auditor's office? Policy. Policy, 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 and budget. And the reason why I mentioned that, too, as I just stated, in every committee, I was the ranking member. That means that, again, I was writing up the reports to send them to uh, minority uh, leadership to know, again, how policy was going in each one of those committees. But here's the but part that goes along with that, too, is you're also trying to figure out, too, what would be the best thing for Democrats, because, of course, the majority was Republicans. So those. But I wrote over 27 pieces of policy. And so if you look up my track record, there was lots of different pieces that I had written up uh, during the seven years that I had uh, been on the House. 
And and what prompted you to run for this position after your loss for the state senate? Okay, uh, you're talking about the auditor's position. Yes, yeah. Okay. Well, that's very interesting too because the party actually approached me, and uh, when that occurred, it was an honor. And so when the party approached me about running for the auditor's position, it was actually a week before it was time to file. Not a year. I wish I could a say week? it was a year. It you was you, you were approached a week before yes. you were going to plunge into running for statewide office. Yes. One week. One week. One week. All right. Continue. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's such a great honor when you're looking at this. You know, one of the things that we, we have to talk about is preparation, too. You know, my undergrad degrees is in uh, criminal justice and American diplomacy. And so uh, a lot of people don't even know I was student body president at the University of Texas at Tyler when I came out. And so I had that experience, too, of being in student uh, body government. And then, of course, I went on and got a, a master's in management and development and human resources. Then I went on and got an MBA. Then I went on and I got my Ph.D. in theology. But I didn't stop there. I also went to the University of Virginia Executive Leadership Program, and which was a wonderful experience there, too. Uh, all of those experience in education leads me up to where we're saying how and why I decided to do what I did when uh, I signed on that dotted line to run for auditor. Now, before we dig in really to what you want to do in the auditor's office, were mm-hmm. you surprised you were unopposed for yes. the Democratic nomination? Yes, because I actually expected someone doing that 30-day gap to also sign on and run against me. I was actually expecting that. And for no no other Democrat to do that, I was like, wow, that, that was a uh, wonderful re- revelation in itself. And that did happen. Was I shocked? Yes, I was. Um, I want to move on to kind of more on the auditor's office itself. So mm-hmm. if you are elected as auditor, what would be your priorities in office? I know you mentioned policy, but kind of what would be your priorities? Well, you have to realize, too, that the auditor's office is not a policy position, okay? It's a uh, watchdog position. And I always tell people the auditor's office is the key watchdog for the money for the state of Missouri. My motto is let's make Missouri green so I can watch your green dollars. I'm very simple about that. I wish somebody would say let's make um, Missouri Rosenbaum. I guess that would mean to change us into a rose tree. But (laughs) that's not as snappy as let's make Missouri green or let's make Missouri Kellogg or something like that. Are there specific areas of state or local government that you want to focus on? Well, let's go back to that other question, Yeah, too. absolutely. Go right ahead. You know, I, I don't want to make changes because Nicole Galloway has done a wonderful job. What I want to do is, of course, keep that steady and hire more qualified people to go because those are statewide positions and offices across the state. So I want from various areas more qualified individuals to go into the regional offices that we have. It's just not based in Jefferson City, but there's offices throughout the state. And I want more qualified people. We have great people there. I want to recruit more great people. Also, what I want to do is make that office more visible. A lot of people don't know what the auditor's office When you ask them, what do they do? Most people can't even explain that to you. I want that. I want to be that visible person that when you see me, you say, oh, that's the auditor. I want that. Rural areas as well as urban and suburban areas. And that is one of the key. I know right now, Nicole Galloway is raising young kids. She can't be out there the way she really wanted to. Me and her had that discussion. And so she's going into retirement and she wants to raise her young family. Understandable. I... My kids are grown, 
I have grandkids. I can get out there. I can run the state. I've already crossed the state two, three times already, and I enjoy being out there with the people. Another thing what I want to do, and that's to close out, is we talk about Whistleblower Act. I want people that when they see things in the community, I don't care if it's urban, suburban, rural, and they know that it's unjust and money is not being spent in the right manner, that they can call in and say, hey, can you take a look at doing an audit in this particular area? And so we need to make more visible the Whistleblower Act. How do you intend to kind of increase accessibility beyond just kind of going, you said you went across the state meeting people, but how, you know, in an office, how do you expect to, you know, have people know kind of what exactly the auditor does? Well, many different ways. One is showing up at events when people are invite me to come. Another is it could be uh, uh, various events that you go to. Of course, when people invite you, a lot of times, some people, a lot of politicians don't go, especially after they get elected. I want to go. I want to be invited and I want to be visible. So both uh, Nicole Galloway and Tom Schweik had a rating system to summarize their findings for audits. Would you continue that as yes. auditor? Can you explain why you think that's a good idea? Well, first of all, there's many different ways when we're talking about, and I hear this quite often, when we're talking about various audits across the state and, and uh, small uh, villages, townships, municipalities across the state. You know, when we're talking about now our system, our system is a good system, don't get me wrong. And as you mentioned, they have a rating system when we're talking about now, uh, when we're talking about these audits and producing these audits. It's but, usually like excellent, yeah. good, fair, poor. But stuff here's like the that. question is, and this is what the question I get all the time. How do you know when you're using the whistleblower system and you go in and then you don't hear anything about there wasn't an audit that occurred? Mm hmm. Boy, you know how many times I've heard that across the state? Well, I asked for an audit and nothing was, I never heard anything. Don't you need to like present like a certain amount of like signatures to get like uh, the auditor to come in or have like a, the city council or county council ask for that? No. Or you don't. You no. can just do it whenever you want, basically. Uh, a person could call up and ask for an audit. That doesn't mean that an audit will occur. Mm -hmm. But a person can call in and say, hey, uh, I again, they may be working there and they saw some misappropriation. And that's why with the Whistleblower Act, you do not have to notify who you are if you see some misappropriation that's going on. But here's the kicker to all of that and more. A lot of people don't understand, and I get this question quite a lot too, is when there's a millions of dollars of sitting there and nobody is using the money. And it's just sitting there. I don't care if it's a rural area, urban or suburban area. You don't have to use that money unless it's a timeline on there. The auditor's office comes in when you're looking for a misappropriation of funds. Let me say that again. It's a misappropriation of funds, not just because the money is sitting there unless there is a timeline on a grant or something that occurred, federal money or state money that came down. Money doesn't have to be spent. And a lot of people get upset, especially when commissioners are sitting on money. I hear that a lot about the mayor's office or the board of aldermen. Why aren't they spending the money in a timely manner? Well, that money is earmarking when it came in. And if there's no dates on it, they, it has to go through appropriation, just like anything else. Once it goes through appropriation, then it's budgeted. But if it hasn't gone through appropriation and budgeted, that money could sit there. That is one of the things when we're talking about now, making sure the accountability is there. 
And I emphasize that to the difference that you what you mentioned when you're talking about when you do an audit and then you say, was it an excellent, was it an average, was it bad? And what did you find? Those are those are different issues in itself. Galloway has spent the last couple of years auditing federal funds that have flowed into the state. What would be your strategy in making sure that's done effectively? Ooh, that's a good one. Because we received millions of dollars coming in for the pandemic, and we're going to see billions of dollars coming in from the infrastructure. I was just going to say, I think it's in the billions Billions. for the pandemic. Okay, billions and billions. Right, Sarah? Yes. Yeah, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. All right. We have a surplus. And we're about to receive billions more to the tune of maybe six to eight more billion. From the infrastructure. Yeah, this is exciting in itself. And what's more exciting about that is the accountability of this piece, because we have the governor that's Republican, lieutenant governor that's Republican. We have the treasurer that's Republican, secretary of state that's Republican. We have the attorney general that's Republican. The only spot that we do have a Democrat in is the auditor's office. And that is a neutral position. That is not a policy position. And when we're talking about monitoring that surplus of money and making sure the appropriations are occurring and no sweetheart deals are being made, who's better to do that than the watchdog, which is the auditor's office? That is a a great transition to another question, because that was a big selling point in 2018 when Nicole Galloway was running against Sandra McDowell, Mm -hmm. that it makes sense for a Democrat to hold the auditor's office when every thing else is Republican. Obviously, Republicans would disagree with that. But why do you think that that's a sound argument that you should be elected? Neutral. Again, I want to be able to go on the table to the table and be in a neutral position, but also represent Democrats saying, no, 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 no. See, I've been in like when I was uh, agency director and we had to monitor and look at all 16 departments and their appropriations and and how that money was going to be spent. And also even in the areas of hiring, I did that for three years already. So I've seen that and done that. So I know what to look for, how to look for it, what's going on in those particular contracts. But I also know, too, when sweetheart deals are being made, because I've been in a governance administration before. I've been in county government before. I know when deals are cut. I know when appropriations and misappropriations are going on. And I also know what to look for because I've ran my own business in the area of bonding and financing. Why would you be a better person? for this job than Scott Fitzpatrick. Experience, experience, experience. Not saying that even though, and I'll give him the kudos of being budget chair and treasurer, but I've actually been a, you know, a person that ran a state agency for three years. Can you just say what agency that was? That was the Office of Equal Opportunity for the state of Missouri. Continue. And in doing that, one of the things is, is working in procurement and looking at contracts and 99% of those contracts or 95% of those contracts flows through the Office of Administration. I was part of the Office of Administration. And so Fitzpatrick has made changing the state low-income housing tax credit a major priority of his time as a lawmaker and a state treasurer. Prior state auditors have criticized that incentive. How would you go about examining those types of Would he like to change it for the good or for the bad? Um, I think he wanted to make it uh, wanted to restrict it because see, I, I like housing projects mm-hmm. that has been my pet peeve in working with in financing projects is making sure that like I have a project right now is a uh, actually down grand whereas a young lady gave me a proposal beautiful proposal and she wants to do a nursing home she wants to get low-income tax credits to help fund that nursing home and 
the other part again is she had to, of course, uh, apply. Mm-hmm. She had to present her proposal, and then she's waiting right now to see if she's going to get those tax credits. But here's the but I like about all that too. As I drove down Grand here, coming to your office, I said, "Wow, we need a lot of development up and down Grand. Mm-hmm. We need incentives." We need to make sure that people are investing in these communities. I drive through North County right now, and I'm saying, why has people left, but not only left, but pulled up the business stakes? And we need investment to come back into these communities. Now, opponents of the state low-income housing tax credit program would say that it's inefficient, and it doesn't return the amount of money that the state is putting in. And it also is essentially like a monetary pipeline to very well-connected developers. I've seen both. What would you say to that? Well, I've seen both. When Greiton came in as governor, I've seen Greiton go through with his administration and cut various uh, tax credit programs as well. He shut it off like 100%. And it wasn't wasn't turned back on until a year after Parson came in office. Yes, yes. So I've seen good and bad. That's why I asked you that question, what is good and bad? Because I've seen when flowing and economic development, I sat on economic development committee. I've sat on workforce. I've sat on finance committee. I've sat on all of those committees and more. I've written policy in that area. I've wrote a policy uh, in that area to create uh, a fund that you can put startup cash into a fund for at least five years, and then if possible, in less than five years, you could pull that money out of the fund and then start a business. I've been there and have done that kind of policy and more. So that's the difference between me and my opponent is that I'm looking at how do we create these businesses? How do we use the tax credits to be efficient and not inefficient? We'll be right back after this quick break with Democratic State Auditor hopeful Alan Green. Thank you. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Alan Green. He is the Democratic nominee for state auditor. I want to move on to local governance because that probably takes up a huge amount of the auditor's time because there are so many local governments in Missouri. So what would be your vision and your focus on holding local governments accountable? Well, one of the things is, is going back to the whistleblower, uh, and making sure that people are comfortable that if they see some mismanagement to make that phone call and initiate an audit. Not saying that every phone call or every initiative that's going to happen is going to create an audit. That, that's not going to happen. Okay. But one of the things is to be visible, as I stated earlier in this conversation, and making sure that you can and feel comfortable to make that phone call. That is a key component of what our government needs right now, too. Another thing and that I see is that when we're talking about now, making sure the accountability is there. Nicole has done a wonderful job, Nicole Galloway, right now. I want to carry on that legacy. I want to build on that legacy. And that's why I sit here. There have been audits somewhat recently in St. Louis and St. Louis County government in reaction to scandal. Mm -hmm. Would it make sense to do more frequent audits of large local governments to find potential problems before they metastasize into something bad? Well, you have to remember, too, the answer to your question is, is that if there's a call for it, yes. Uh, But the St. Louis City has, again, the controller's office. St. Louis County has an auditor. And those individuals are, of course, supposed to be the checks and balances. But if, again, the checks and balances aren't working, there is nothing wrong with an audit. 
Yeah, the auditor's office in the county has been horribly broken for years where the office holder, who I know used to work in state government, mm-hmm. didn't do anything. I think they got an auditor re- audit recently. And I think that actually Galloway's audit pointed that out. So, like, what happens when you have broken systems like that? Well, that's in any, any entity. You know, it's, again, making sure that you hire the best qualified people that you can, making sure that they're not only do they have the education, but background and experience. You don't want someone to come in because it is a political favor, but that happens throughout our government too. But here's the key too, is making sure that the accountability piece is there. And that is what I'm talking about. You know, there's also, there's so many local governments in Missouri and not unlimited staffers in the state auditor's office. So how can you keep track of them? Well, there's 150 auditors. And they also led contracts, too. And so if out of that 150, everybody's already uh, overwhelmed with various contracts and projects they're working on, you could also let contracts, whereas, again, the state will compensate those accountants to go out and also do audits. So that money is there. I know this is a touchy issue in St. Louis about consolidating local governments, but, like, is that something that you would want to talk about openly as state auditor about like there are too many local governmental jurisdictions and maybe there should be less? Well, I come from the old school of when I was in county government and I also helped create neighborhood preservation for St. Louis County, which again is when we're talking about now, uh, making sure occupancy permits, making sure that properties are up to par. I helped create all of that under Buzz Westfall administration. But here's the but. That was an unincorporated St. Louis County. Yeah, and trust me, I know that there's a lot of complaints about St. Louis County's management of unincorporated St. Louis County. And so (laughs) that was supposed to be a piece to help with the management. And that was putting the inspectors with the police officers to make sure we go out and make sure that housing values did not go down within St. Louis County. But let's go back to the municipality piece. Also, when we're talking about incorporating unincorporated pieces of of uh, land into those municipalities has always been a pet pee within government. Let me say that again. Like right now out in West County, what do I won't mention the name? There is a large municipal. Manchester. I'm mentioning the name, but continue. <laughs> that, Sorry, that, that it's been, a, this is not a secret. <laughs> it's a huge uh, issue in that Vicki England, uh, Dennis Hancock race, which will determine whether Sam Page becomes like dark Sam Page and has un- limited amounts of power or whether he's going to be frustrated by the uh, county council, but continue. But I've worked on, (laughs) I've worked on those projects before, going back to 1993 when Chesterfield actually annexed the Valley Mm -hmm. uh, because the Valley was unincorporated St. Louis County. I was on the uh, zoning and adjustment committee and we were looking at that in 93 when it was underwater and then when we built more levees from a 100-year levy to 500-year levy. And then, uh, again, that was annexed by the Chesterfield. Uh, I've seen all of that over the years. I've worked on I was on the TIF Commission for five years. So I've seen developments that come and go in all these areas and more. But going back to unincorporated and going back to municipalities, that is something that we also need to review and take a hard look at. Yes. So let's go to the campaign. Yes. You have raised significantly less money 
than Scott Fitzpatrick. Yes. When I looked at your MEC report, I think you have like $15,000 on hand. How are you going to make up for this, given that statewide races are prohibitively expensive? Very, very good. I'm glad that you opened up that door to let's talk about it. Yeah. Because uh, I've called over 1,200 people on the phone. I have lists of thousands and thousands more. And I, as I sit here, I have a list that, like you mentioned, Nicole Galloway raised $4 million off her list. The unions and other lists have contributed millions of dollars into various races. I've called those listed more and still calling on those lists, and people are not donating to Alan Green. I don't know the answer to that question, but every day I get up in the morning, that doesn't stop me, and every night I go to sleep at night, it doesn't stop me because I'm going to call anyway to solicit that money. My uh, opponent has about 500,000 or more. I, I don't know how much he has. He spent a lot of it yeah. during the primary yeah. campaign, but it's it's the 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 monetary difference between you two is massive. Yes, it is. And here's the kicker for Alan Green. Alan Green as stated when we first started has crossed the state at least three or four times. Any and everybody that has invited, I've been to Tea Party meetings, I've walked in meetings where it's both Republicans and Democrats. But here's the kicker to it. Now, I want to say this before you ask me another question. Mm -hmm. I was near Kirksville in a county near Kirksville, near uh, Iowa border, and I got through doing my presentation. There was other people that presented, and the sheriff of the county came over to me, and he stated that he was Republican, and he said, I like you. I stood there. He said, I really like you. He said, if you could get your message out, I'm letting you know right now, I am going to vote for you, and I'm Republican. I'm going to vote for I'm the sheriff. But you have to get out here and get your message out. That's where I said that if I can get my message out, I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat, I can win you over. If you do end up winning, you would be the first black person to hold statewide office in Missouri's history. In fact, you'd be the first person of color. Yes. Because there's never been a Latino statewide office holder or an Asian statewide office holder. But let's be frank here. Since 2016, there's been three black nominees for statewide offices, and they've all lost decisively. Like, why do you think they've had trouble winning? Funding. Uh, I think each one was qualified, each one was educated, just like myself. Uh, if you look at my experience, you go to my website, which is alankgreen.com, you will see that my qualifications are there, my experience is there, the funding, as you mentioned, is not there. And I can't, I can't, and I wish I could tell you why the funding is not there. Again, I've just sent out last Friday over 1,200 cards in the mail to those individuals that I've called asking them to donate to me a second time. Do you think it, could, it has more to do with the fact that you are a Democrat running in an increasingly Republican state than the fact that you're black? Or do you think it's a combination of the two? Well, the information I'm sending a lot of my literature to are Democrats. Mm. So I don't know why Democrats are not donating to Alan Green. Unions is usually, usually 
given to Democrats. I'm, I'm sure they give to Republicans and Democrats. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I have endorsements, but I have not received any checks. I have endorsements from lots of different people, have not received checks. I have lists of various other politicians that I've used are Democratic lists, and I have not received any checks. Or, as I say, today we have technology. You can make it very easy, and you can go to the website and donate directly to. I don't know the answer to why people are not donating. I have talked with other black political fi- officials mm-hmm. before, and they have talked about the difficulty of raising money compared to their white counterparts. It's especially difficult if you're a female black official as well. Why do you think that continues to be a problem both here and Missouri? And what do you think needs to be done to change that dynamic? That is a good question. Again, I think about it all day long and on the weekends. But that is not going to stop me. I don't know the key difficulty part of it of because, again, you want people that qualify. You want people that have the education, but they're not opening up the pocketbooks. I've heard one person say, well, we're Republican now. We're red state. No. As I go and I travel and I go into the rural areas, a lot of people say, well, you all have stopped coming and I'm glad to see you and you all have neglected us. Well, the neglect is not going on. I'm physically standing there. I'm looking at you. I'm doing presentations to you. I've been back two, three times. So I cannot answer that question of why when I'm on a caller's list calling and I see people have donated 16,000, I'll say like to Nicole Galloway and they give me 250. That is a huge difference. (laughs) Why? So then if so, how do you change that dynamic? We have to run more and more candidates so people get and see that we do have qualified minorities But as you mentioned, there was four before me. There were. And there has to be a trust and a level there that, again, whoever is going into that, I don't care if it's black, white, that you're putting your best. See, One of the things when we first started this conversation, I am honored to represent the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. I am the nominee of the Democratic Party. That means I represent you, you and me. That's who I represent. This is not the Alan Green show. This is the Democratic show here. And so when you don't give me money, that represents who you are, too. If the election tilts towards the GOP, is it fair to say that there's little you can do to trudge through those headwinds? I'm not going to give up because, again, I sit here saying I represent the Democratic Party and good, bad, indifferent, win or not win, I'm still representing the Democratic Party. So, I'm going to put it out there on the table. If you all in the audience out there want to win, then of course. You know, I look at our uh, Senate campaign and I wish I had millions that I could just drop into my campaign. But I don't. I wish that, again, that I made 400000 and at an average $37.50. That would be great at 400000 I would be sitting on millions right now. So I tell people right now, even if you gave me $37.50, if I get 100000 of those, moves me in a category where I can compete. I want to compete on your behalf. 
Now, the question is, do you want me to compete on your behalf? Speaking of, of the Senate race, you know, this race kind of flies under the radar, especially when there is a U.S. Senate race happening at the same time. Do you expect a similar situation here? Well, I I see good and bad. I see that if she does well, I'm going to do well. Trudy Bush Valentine, by the way. Yes, because if you pull that ticket, you're also pulling Alan Green, too. But we live in a state right now that, again, uh, not only radio shows, debates and everything else, I'm going out there saying, I'm not afraid. Come at me. Well, thank you so much for coming at us and uh, coming on our show. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can read all of our coverage at stlpr.org. I should also add that uh, Fitzpatrick is planning on recording his own podcast later in the election cycle. We reached out to him. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you on Twitter, Sarah? Sarah K. Kellogg, two L's, two G's. And how could people find out more about your campaign? Again, you could go to Alan, A-L-A-N-K-Green.com. Alan K. Green. Or you, if you're on Facebook, you could go to Dr. Alan K. Green Force Auditor. Or you could go to LinkedIn or many others, uh, Twitter, all the rest of them. I'm out there in the social media. And again, I would love to hear from you. And I would say that if you do like me, like sin, and the more people that like sin and let your friends know that Alan Green, you like and sin, I can have millions of people like and sending information on Alan Green every day. Thank you very much. And until next time, so long.